You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, good morning, Redemption. Uh, it's good to be with you again, and um, as we get closer to actually being able to be together. I'm excited about that. Uh, This is our last week in the study of the book of Ruth. Um, I've been so encouraged by this book. I love God's word. It's just amazing. Every time we go through a book, I'm just like, that's my new favorite book. And um, so, so, uh, so good to go through God's word together. Next week, we're gonna be having uh, a video by Dave Harvey, uh, the president of GCC, uh, just talking about handling things with the pandemic as we start to move in to uh, life again, uh, a little bit more normal. And, uh, and then as well, we're gonna have a family chat, uh, just an update from the elders as to what's our plan look like, where are we going? And uh, so we look forward to talking to you about that. And, uh, and then the following week, we're going to begin uh, our summer series, a study in Proverbs. We're calling it Wisdom Required, question mark, applying God's truth to everyday life. And uh, of course, we all need wisdom. And in these crazy days we're living in right now, uh, we, we definitely need God's wisdom. And so uh, we're going to be going through that series uh, for the summer. And then, Lord willing, uh, as we begin our 10th year together, we'll be looking at the book of Romans. So that's our plan uh, going forward. I'm excited about our days ahead. Uh, God is faithful, and uh, we're going to see that highlighted as we conclude the book of Ruth today. And one of the things that we're going to see highlighted is the importance of perspective. A change of perspective changes everything, even when nothing else changes. If our perspective changes, it changes everything. As we can come to the conclusion of this book, we'll see the author begin to broaden the perspective. The lens will draw back and allow us to reflect on what has happened in this short book. And he also shows how these individuals, their story fits into God's bigger story. The shift from being focused on one single thing to drawing back and seeing the bigger picture is so important for you and I as believers. Any baseball fans out there? Anthony, I see that hand. Jason, I don't know. I don't know if there's anyone else out there, but uh, uh, there's an illustration given here uh, by about about Reggie Jackson in a book that was called How Life Imitates the World Series. And in that book, uh, the story is told by Earl Weaver. He was a manager. Uh, he talks about the former man, a former manager of the Baltimore Orioles. And uh, uh, sorry, Weaver was that manager. And um, sports fans would enjoy how he handled Reggie Jackson. Weaver had a rule that no one could steal a base unless given the steal sign. This upset Jackson because he felt he knew the pitchers and catchers well enough to judge whether or not he could steal. So one game, he decided to steal without a sign. He got off a good jump off the pitcher and easily beat the throw to second base. As he shook the dirt off his uniform, Jackson smiled with delight, feeling he had vindicated his judgment to his manager. Later, Weaver took Jackson aside and explained why he hadn't given the steal sign. First, the next batter was Lee May, his best power hitter other than Jackson. When Jackson stole second, first base was left open. So the other team walked May intentionally, taking the bat out of his hands. Second, 
The following batter hadn't been strong against that pitcher, so Weaver felt he had to set, send up a pinch hitter to try to drive in the man on base. That left Weaver without bench strength later in the game when he needed it. The problem was this. Jackson saw only his relationship to the pitcher and the catcher. Weaver, the manager, was watching the whole game. We too only see so far, but God sees the bigger picture. When he sends us a signal, it's wise to obey, no matter what we may think or what we think we know. Now, you don't have to be a baseball fan to understand the significance of this. Sometimes you and I think that we know better than God what should be happening. We demonstrate that in our actions. We rebel against his word and we decide to do what we want to do rather than what God's word says. We complain against God saying, God, you should be doing this and not that. We also uh, believe that we have some kind of superior knowledge when it comes to how our lives should run. If we really stop and think about it, it's all really crazy when we think about ourselves versus God, but that's how we live oftentimes. We are so single-minded, so short-sighted that we just see our little world. In fact, when it comes to our prayer times, if we were being honest, there's more my kingdom come, my will be done on this earth than rather than what should be thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Sometimes our focus is so such that we just want the whole world to change so that we could be happy. But God doesn't work that way. And God has a bigger picture in mind. He has almost all 8 billion of us now on this earth trying, uh, not trying, doing his purposes, fulfilling his plan. And he's doing that each and every day. And so we're gonna look at this this morning. We're gonna look at the perspective that you and I need, not this narrow focus just on me and my little world, but on the bigger focus of, of what God is doing not just in your life, not just in the life of your family, not just in the life of our church or our city or our province or our country, or not even in the globe, but what God is doing for all of eternity. And so this morning's plan, uh, sermon is entitled, Power in the Plan. Before we get into the sermon, let me pray for us. Lord God, we are so thankful for your grace, for your mercy towards us. And God, we're so thankful that you are over everything and that you have an amazing plan lord you you are the same god of yesterday today and forevermore lord you're the god who um, knows it all and lord not only do you know it all but you have the power to be able to bring about everything that you desire and so god would you help us to get our focus off of ourselves this morning Lord, would you help us to get our focus off of the events of this world? Would you help us to get our focus off of, of the temporary and help us to get our eyes on you? Lord, we desperately need that. We need to stop and look to you this morning, God. We need to remember that you are sovereign. We need to remember that you are eternal and that God in what we see as confusion, Lord, you're bringing about a great plan. And so God, help us trust you more as a result of this message today. Help us to be more faithful as a result of this message today. God, would you use this preacher for your glory and for your honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, everyone needs a Bible. Again, if you're just joining us for the first time, uh, I got nothing for you. All what we're going to be looking at is found in God's Word. This is our authority. It always is. It always will be our authority. And uh, because the Word of God never changes. Uh, the truth is continually changing, but God's truth never changes. And so we're going to be looking at Ruth 4, 13 to 22. Uh, download the app if you don't have a Bible. Uh, and we're going to be looking at the ESV today. Well, in this world, our circumstances can change quickly. Sometimes the changes are temporary, and sometimes the changes are eternal. And we've experienced a turbulent 2020 so far. And who knows, it could get worse yet. We don't know, right? No one knows. In light of that, Kevin Dion posted a pastoral prayer that he had prayed at this last Sunday service. And uh, it was popular enough that people say, hey, could you just, could you, we get a copy of that? And so he posted the, the prayer that he'd prayed and I appreciated this particular uh, paragraph. He said this, You have our attention, O God. Give us ears to hear. What do you want to say to us in your word? What should we do? What needs to change? How can we help? Do you hear what he's saying there? God, you have our attention. Give us ears to hear. What do you want us to, what do you want to say to us in your word? What should we do? What needs to change? How can we help? And that's where we should be this morning. God, we're here. You have our attention fully. We're, we're not about our plans. We're about your plan. God, help us be faithful. I pray that that's where all of our hearts are at this morning. Off of our circumstances and onto him. And that's what we're going to see as we, as we get into the book today. We're going to see that, that we have a God who takes circumstances and changes them. We have a God who never changes uh, Hebrews 13, 8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And this never changing God is in the business of changing our position in three ways. We're going to see this this morning, changing our position in three ways. Now, our God did not have a different plan in the Old Testament, as some people claim, and now a new plan in the New Testament. And now it's 2020. He's come up with a new plan. That's not true. Our God, our God has had the same plan from the beginning right through to the end. He's shown us the beginning and he's shown us the end. He is faithful through it all. And we're going to be reminded that as we look at verses 13 to 22 of Ruth 4. First thing that we see in our God changing our position is that our God changes our position from death to life. From death to life. We see this in verse 13. Now, last week, if you were with us, we seen Boaz go um, and had a trial to, uh, with this other man who, who was next in line to be a redeemer to decide who would redeem both Naomi's land and Ruth, the Moabite. Who would, would be responsible to do that? And we seen at the end of it all, the redeemer who was closest decided to not do what needed to be done because of the cost to him and Boaz fulfilled this role of, as redeemer. And so this is where we pick it up. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Now that first phrase, so Boaz took Ruth, it almost sounds like a, a caveman thing. What, what is that? Well, it's a Hebrew idiom that, that talked about the man taking responsibility and maintenance of the household. It also reflected the custom of the marriage ritual where the man would take his wife to his house after the marriage ceremony. 
This couple that seemed like such an unlikely pair because of their age difference and the fact that he was an Israelite and she was a Moabite are now married. Despite their outer differences, their mutual love for the Lord has united them. And the rest that Naomi had desired for Ruth in chapter 1 has now been answered. She will no longer need to live the difficult life of being a widow as she now becomes the wife of Boaz, coming under his protection and his provision. She had arrived in Bethlehem as a foreigner, and then she had progressed to being a lowly servant, and then to a maidservant, and now she's married to a man who in that community everyone had respected and who loves the Lord. They consummate the marriage, and we're told that the Lord gave her conception. In her previous marriage to Melchon, she had not been able to have children. But now the author makes it clear that the Lord had answered their prayers of the elders and the witnesses and has granted life. Nine months later, a son was born to Boaz and Ruth. It is always the Lord who grants life. We sometimes forget that and take the conception and a birth of a child for granted. But it is the Lord who gives life King David wrote in Psalm 139, verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And Job says this in Job 10, verses 11 and 12, You clothed me with skin and flesh. You knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. As we think about life, It is the Lord God who is the creator of every one of us. In fact, as we expand our view, we see that he is the creator over all. As we read Genesis 1 and 2, we read that God spoke the earth into existence. He spoke the sun into existence, the moon into existence. All life was spoken into existence by our God. He is the creator. He is the author of life. And the life that you and I enjoy right now is because he has given it to us. He sustains our life. And in fact, he knows when your last day will be. In fact, he knew that before there was even your first day. I just uh, was listening to John Piper on the way in uh, today. And, and I was just uh, reminded of what it, what it says there. That, that in God's plans, we are immortal until... until he decides other until it's time for us, for our plans, for his plans for us to be over. Then we'll be with him. God holds our lives in his hands. And I pray that even this morning, that would encourage your hearts. Remember that God is over your life today. Do you know your creator? I mean, not just lip service, but do you know him? Do you worship him? Do you, do you love him? Do you spend time talking with him every day? Are you anticipating the day when you will see him and stand before him when you pass from this life to the next? As we celebrate the life that is happening in this verse, it is also important that we remember the larger story of Ruth. In fact, the way that this is written, the author is pointing us back to the beginning. As we began in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 1, we've seen that the book began with death. There was a famine in the land, which is a result 
of the people rebelling against God. We've seen it in the time of Judges over and over again. The people rebelled against God and God withheld his blessing. And as a result, there was a famine. So this family, Elimelech and his family, they moved to Moab. And in the 10 years that they're in Moab, Elimelech dies and the two sons die. This story began with death as a result of the rebellion of this family. The situation that those left, that were, that the situation for those left behind seemed hopeless. Again, we wanna zoom back even further from there and we're reminded of the greater story. Our story as humanity started with rebellion that led to death. Just like Elimelech's rebellion led to death, our rebellion led to death. Adam and Eve went from walking in a perfect garden with everything they could ever want, talking with God that had created them, and then what? And then choosing rebellion against God. They thought that they knew better than God, and so they chose to rebel against him, and in turn, they received the sentence of death and the curses that came along with it. Murder and hatred and every kind of wickedness came flooding into the earth, and man only continued to walk in rebellion against God. And that's still true today. As we fast forward in our timeline, as we went back to the beginning of creation, and now as we come to 2020, we see that we are still walking in rebellion against our Creator. We've rejected His Word. We've rejected Him. And we're seeing the devastating results all around us. Things like the coronavirus are just a reminder that we live in a broken world full of disease and death and sorrow and suffering. And it's all a result of our walking and rebellion against God. Romans 8 says that the whole creation groans. Yet in the midst of us all, of this all, the purposes of God are going forth. Just as they did in the book of Ruth. He's changing stories from death to life over and over again all over this world. I, I, that's my story. The Lord looked with grace and mercy upon me and he took me from a pathway of death because of my sin and made me alive in Jesus Christ through, through his grace and through his mercy, through Christ's redemption on the cross. It had to happen. That was the only way for you and I to be redeemed. Christ had to die for us, but he has. And so now instead of eternal death facing me, I now have eternal life facing me. What's your story? Do you have a story where you have went from a death to life? As you look back on your life, do you see God's grace? Now we've, we've kind of had the advantage of, of a 30,000 point view in the life of Ruth here. We, we've been able to see how God in his grace called him to himself, even while she is in Moab, and she committed to follow Yahweh. She rejected her gods, she rejected her land, she chose Yahweh and committed to follow Naomi. And when she got to Bethlehem, what did God do? In his grace, he took her to the fields of Boaz. And in his grace, Boaz fell in love with her. And in his grace, Boaz was the redeemer who would redeem her. 
over and over and over again, we see God's grace in her life. And now her story is no longer about death, but about life. Again, I asked this morning, what's your story? Do you have one where you were literally a dead man walking, but now you're alive? Maybe your story was a dramatic one. You were into all kinds of rebellion against God and you were shaking your fist against him, but God in his grace, he changed that and now you're walking in him. Or maybe you have a precious story of you're not really exactly sure when you started following Christ because you grew up in a Christian home. And you remember at some young age where you understood that you were a sinner and also in need of a savior. You didn't have this time of crazy rebellion that you can remember, but, but you knew that you had a sinner's heart and that you needed Christ. And today you're still following him by his grace, by his mercy. I pray that everyone who's watching this today can say, I know. I know the Savior. I know the Creator. I know the one who changes our position from death to life. The book of Ruth takes us from death to life, and the God who never changes is still doing that in the world today. By God's grace, I pray that you can say that's your story, or at least today you can say that's your story. Three ways that that God changes our position the never-changing God. First, from death to life. Secondly, he changes our position from despondency to hope. From despondency to hope. Verse 14, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. The end of chapter 1, As Naomi returns to Bethlehem, there's this group of women who meet Naomi. They've heard that she's come back home. And when they see her, they they ask, is this Naomi? She looks so different than than when she left. And then Naomi proceeded to speak of all the bitterness that she had experienced. She had left Bethlehem full, but she had returned empty. She had a husband and two sons, and now none of them lived. The Lord had come against her and had brought calamity upon her. The weight of it all had left her feeling hopeless. She struggled in her great mourning to see how anything good could ever happen again. Now months later, maybe about a year by this time, that sad day now is turned into a day of rejoicing as the women of Bethlehem now come and speak to Naomi. This day is very different than that first day when they had first come. The women begin by praising Yahweh, the same God who had brought calamity and emptiness, now they see has brought blessing and filling. Block, in talking about blessing, he says this, in the Old Testament, blessings represent expressions of a positive relationship. Yahweh blesses his people on the basis of relationship by conferring good on them. Humans bless God by praising the good that is in him and that he expresses in in conveying benefactions. These women do well to praise the one who has been sovereign over it all. And they're not just praising God for the son who has been born, but they see how God has radically changed the situation in Naomi's life. 
We would do well to follow the example of these women, to praise the Lord for his daily faithfulness as we look back over our days. Now, hindsight's 2020, they always say, right? As we look back, may you see God's faithfulness over and over and over again. Even as we think about the months we've just had in, in this, this crazy time of isolation and pandemic and, and now just everything that else we're seeing in the news. May we see, as we look back, God carrying us through. And just as these women seen in the life of Naomi. Then they recognize one of the blessings that he's brought is that as we continue to read the verse, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. The Lord has not left her. He is faithful and his love is steadfast. Our first thought when we read this is that the women are referring to Boaz. But if you just look at the context here, they're saying on this day, was it the day, the day that the son has been born. And as we read verse 15, we also see that they're talking about the Redeemer who has been born. Let's look at verse 15. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Who's him? The Redeemer who has been brought to Naomi. Now, the redemption that's spoken here is a little bit different than what we've been talking about as we've been going through the book of Ruth. This is the only time in the Old Testament where redemption or a redeemer has talked about as an infant as opposed to an adult. And so we're seeing there's a little bit different emphasis here. This child would end Naomi's shameful childlessness and her bitter mourning at her family's demise. He would be a restorer of life for her and a nourisher of her old age. The rest of her life now would be different because of his birth. Prime says this, Redemption transforms by renewing life and giving hope for the future. Hope is so important for our well-being. I'm so thankful that our hope never changes because of, our, of who our hope is in. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In a foreshadowing to another child who would be born, who would bring hope, this child was a restorer of life for Naomi. He brought her purpose once again for her life. I love what Worsby had to say here. He says, every grandparent can bear witness that grandchildren are better than the fountain of youth. For we get young again when grandchildren come to visit. Though not all grandparents agree with it, they all know the saying, they're called grandchildren because they're grand when they come and grand when they leave. There's no better way to get a new lease on life than to start investing yourself in the younger generation. Every baby that is born into this world is a vote for the future. And grandparents need to focus on the future and not on the past. When you're holding a baby, you're holding the future in your arms. And this was the significance for Naomi. This child would also, it says, be a nurture of her old age. This child would one day care for this family that he was being born into. He would protect their inheritance and care for the elderly. In declaring the blessing of this son, they also recognize what a blessing Ruth has been to Naomi. What an example Ruth is as we studied her life. 
Naomi may have lost her sons, but this daughter-in-law who loves her is now more to Naomi than seven sons. Seven symbolizes both perfection or completion. In other words, even if you were to have the perfect family, Naomi, Ruth's value is even greater than that. She is of great worth to you. This great tribute to Ruth is extraordinary in a culture that puts so much emphasis on sons, especially considering that Ruth was a Moabite. I love that these women recognize Ruth's great value and that the Lord has included it here in his word. Ruth was exemplary in every way and was a great reminder that the God who never changes was not only going to redeem the nation of Israel, but his intention was to redeem all mankind. Ruth here gave birth to the one who would be redeemer to Naomi. And this event also pointed us forward to the birth of Jesus. With Jesus' birth, there also came great hope. The angel Gabriel announced the following, the following to Mary when he told her that she was to have a son. Luke 1, 31 to 33. Luke chapter 1, 31 to 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. His kingdom will be forevermore. And he's the one that we worship today. We're going to look a little bit more at that when we look at verses 18 to 22. In the midst of the women declaring these blessings that were being poured out on Naomi, they also prayed for the son who would be born. Look again back at verse 14. They say, and may his name be renowned in Israel. In other words, may he have a famous name. Back in the previous verses, we've seen the, the elders and the witnesses saying, asking that Boaz might have a famous name in Bethlehem. Now they're saying here, may this man, may Obed, have a name that is renowned in all of Israel. And of course, we're going to see that the Lord answered that prayer as we continue to read. Verse 16, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. There's this, there's this beautiful picture here of this woman who is just, has so much joy as she can, as sees this son, this child, and lays him on her lap and becomes his nurse. Moore says this, she had expected a lonely old age when her husband and sons died. With none of those near to, to her left, her future had indeed looked bleak. But thanks to Ruth's devotion, everything was now different. She belonged to a family once more. She was loved and she had a recognized place. The babe, in a sense, symbolized it all, and Naomi gave herself over to caring for him. Now, you know, with all this pandemic stuff, we're thinking nurse, we're probably thinking medical, but this is just like she, like, she became like a nanny. She became a doting grandmother to this baby. This is the picture here. The word here for child that was used is the same uh, word that was used in, in uh, Ruth chapter 1 verse 5. It's the Hebrew word yelled, which was exactly the same word that was used when, it, when, she, uh, when Naomi lost her two sons. And so again, we're even just seeing the author pointing back 
Those two sons were lost back in chapter 1, but now this son has come to replace him. This son has come to bring comfort for the two sons that have been lost. Hubbard says this, instead of an explanation for her tragic suffering, she she received a renewed vocation. Assured by her experience of God's faithful presence, she gladly accepted the care of the one who in turn would later care for her. Verse 17, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. Now, this interaction seems a little odd. Nowhere else in the Old Testament do we see a group of women naming a child. In the carrying on of the family uh, name, this son would have been attributed to Naomi. So you're probably also wondering, like, why, why were they saying this is the son of Naomi? It's because she's, this, this son is going to carry on now the family name. And so in a legal sense, this son is hers and that he would inherit the land that was to be left behind. So what's going on here with the women naming the child? Block says this, his comment does not mean that neither Ruth nor Boaz had a say in naming of the child. Such a notion would be ludicrous. This event must have involved the women affirming the name given to the child by his mother or father, but the narrator appropriately casts in a literary form that has the female course as representatives of the community, celebrating his birth and declaring its significance. This name Obed, it means servant, servant of the Lord. Once again, we see foreshadowing to Jesus' birth who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The significance of this birth is highlighted as we end this verse is that we're told that Obed will become the father of Jesse, who would then become the father of David, the famous king of Israel. Obed would be his grandpa. We're going to look at that significance in our final point in just a moment. But before we do, let me just stop and think about the significance of these things for us. We too came from a situation of despondency, a situation of of hopelessness. Every one of us were ensnared in our sin and under the sentence of death. And it seemed that there would be no earthly way to get out of our situation. There there was no no way that we would ever be able to, to get out of our sentence of death. However, because another baby was born, because Jesus was born, you and I have hope today. Jesus was not only a servant, But as his name suggests, he was also the Savior. Through his death and resurrection, all who are in despondency can have hope today. All who are hopeless can have hope today because of what Jesus Christ has done. No matter what your situation, no matter where you're at today, if you don't know Jesus, I want to just encourage you. to to look into what Christ has done, understand that he came, he lived the perfect life and died on a cross. And as he died on that cross, he took my sin, he took your sin upon himself and paid the debt that we owed, paid that death penalty that we owed, paid, paid the ransom that was necessary for us to be freed out of our slavery to sin. I pray that you know that today and that you have been freed from your sin and you're walking 
in him. Believer, maybe you needed that reminder. You have been freed from your sin. You don't need to continue to walk in sin. Maybe you're maybe with the tiredness, maybe with the with the, the just the, the the chaos that's happening in our world right now, you're you're just becoming more and more self-focused. I want to just encourage you, look to Christ. Don't, don't, don't give in to rebellion against him, but rather walk in his ways. Experience the freedom that you have in him. Don't put those chains of sin back on yourself again. We have hope for today because of Jesus Christ, because of his redemption. God still is very much concerned about day-to-day living, just as he was concerned about the day-to-day living of Boaz and Naomi and Ruth. He cares about your every day, about what's going on in your home. And parents, as you're kind of like, wow, three more months with the kids at home before they go back to school? Like, he cares about that. And he wants to be there for you. He wants to strengthen you and help you through that. Uh, maybe, maybe you're just discouraged right now. I want you to to know he cares about your discouragement. Look to Christ. Remember this about him. He is a God of love. He is a God of care. He is a faithful God. He is a God of grace. He is a God of mercy. And he is a father who can be trusted. Just as he cared for Ruth and Naomi, he cares for you. Sometimes we may not fully understand. That's okay. We don't have to fully understand everything, but we do need to keep a proper perspective. Ferguson says this, we must never limit the purposes of God as though he were doing only one thing at a time in only one person and one place at a time here and now in me. Sometimes we can be deeply puzzled by the circumstances of our lives. What is God doing? Too frequently we focus our attention on ourselves as though the answer lay within our individual lives as if we were the central key to interpreting the plan of God of the entire universe. God's purposes crisscross and zigzag and cross-fertilize one believer's life with an unbeliever and one believer's experience with another believer. He is always and simultaneously and contemporaneously doing several things and several lives. God is at work today, believer. Be encouraged by that. In the same way that we've seen this amazing picture of how he was at work in in these people's lives and that there were no coincidences going on, I want to remind us this morning that's the same thing for you and I. There are no coincidences going on in your life. God is sovereign over the events of your life and he's using these things to make you more like him. He's using these things for your good. And so put your trust in him today. He's taking situations from death to life, from despondency to hope, and he wants to use you to do that. My prayer for you today, Redemption, is this. It's found in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Hope for today, hope for all of eternity. Let us not lose that perspective. Brothers and sisters, remember that you have a God who cares for you. Prime says this, The story of Ruth started with rebellion, with a family going their own way instead of God's. 
suffering the bitter consequences. It ends with the renewal of Naomi's life and with others rejoicing with her in the kindness God has shown her by providing her with the kinsman redeemer she needed. All her hope was now focused on the son that was born, just as the hope of the Christian is focused on the son who was born to be our redeemer. Jesus, who is awesome and power forever, he's overcome sin, he's overcome Satan, and he's overcome darkness, and he will one day soon bring all suffering and sickness and sorrow to an end. And then there will be glory with him forevermore. We need to keep an eternal perspective as we go through our days here on this earth. We need to be like Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. It says this, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We have an eternal glory waiting for us. And I know sometimes these days seem long, but I want you to know these things are just so temporary. So hang on to Christ, cling to him today. Remember that he is using these things for today, for, your, for his glory, for your good, and, for you, and, and to, to be salt and light in this dark world. What a glorious hope we have in Christ. The never-changing God changes our position in three ways. From death to life, from despondency to hope, and then thirdly, he changes our position from darkness to deliverance. The author ends with a genealogy. He says this, Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nation. Nation fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Ten generations are highlighted from Perez to David. Now there would have been more dads involved, but they're highlighting these 10. There's some that are kind of a pre-co-mosaic era, and then there's those who come in a post-mosaic era. But he's, he's showing this line of redemption. He's showing, look, from Pope Perez, who was born to Judah and Tamar, and it's thought probably this is highlighted because of the, the link to the Leverite kind of uh, conception here that, that happened, although that situation was much different than this one. But, but that's what they're thinking. And because the people of Bethlehem descended from Perez. And so they're highlighting first him and then this son, Hezron, who comes on. He would have been uh, of those who went to Egypt uh, during the days when uh, Joseph was only second in command to Pharaoh. And then he fathered Ram. And then we again, we see a little bit of uh, uh, distance in the genealogy. And then Ram fathered a guy by the name of Aminadab. And Aminadab, he was um, the, the father-in-law to Aaron, the high priest. So he has a significance in that way. And then his son, Nation, was actually the head over the tribe of Judah in the time in the wilderness. So a little bit of uh, um, context there. Salmon, he's best known for who he married. Uh, He had married um, Rahab, the harlot, 
uh, that was uh, originally from Jericho. She was the one who had hid the spies and knew that, that God was about to deliver Jericho into the hands of Yahweh. And so they protected her and this guy, Salmon, married her. And, and then again, there's a bit of a break here, about probably 250 years, to Boaz. And Boaz is listed as the seventh. In genealogies, that often meant this was someone who was deemed as worthy. There was something special about them. And uh, of course, we've seen that in the life of Boaz as we've been going through here. And then Boaz fathered Obed. And I know some of you are kind of wondering, okay, well, why, why is Elimelech not put here instead of Boaz based on the whole redemption thing? Moore says this, notice that Melon is not mentioned and Obed is treated simply as the son of Boaz. In a sense, he carried on Melon's name, Elimelech, his father's name, and succeeded to his property. But in an official genealogy, he was reckoned as the son of his true father, Boaz. And then, of course, the author concludes that Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. And there's a whole lot in our Bibles about David. A little bit about Jesse, but mostly because he was the dad of David. He's just showing, look, look what God has been doing from Perez right to David. Now, the author who wrote these things, he could have went, continued to go back. He could have went back from Perez to Judah. Judah, who it says in Genesis 49.10, that, that from him there would be a, a king who would come who all the nations would bow down to. Or that he could have went back to then to Isaac or to, or sorry, to Jacob and then to Isaac or back to Abraham, back to Genesis 12, where God says, I'm gonna choose a nation and through that nation, all the nations will be blessed in forming the Abrahamic covenant. This was God's plan to take the world out of darkness and into light. Take the, the world out of darkness and deliver it into light. We're not exactly sure when this was written, but with David came the Davidic covenant. And, and in that covenant, he was told that there would always be one who would be on the throne. And then after that, there came another covenant called a, a new covenant that was to come. It was highlighted by Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And then of course, as we, as we get to 2,000 years ago, we came to the birth of Christ. With Christ, he fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant, that through him all the nations would be blessed. He is on the throne now and he will be forevermore in fulfilling the Davidic covenant. When he came and lived on this earth, he fulfilled the Mosaic covenant. And God has been at work all through history to bring it to that point 2,000 years ago, and he's still at work today. He's still bringing about his redemptive purposes today. Through Jesus Christ, there is now a new covenant that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that plan of redemption will continue until God sends his son back. Jesus Christ is going to return someday soon. And God in his love and his care for us, he's told us the end of the story. He told us the beginning of the story. He's also told us the end of the story. You read the book of Revelation, you understand about the things that are to come. We don't know exactly when they're gonna come, but we know that all things are gonna come to an end. 
And we know that when it all comes to an end, there will be no more mourning, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more suffering, there'll be no more things like racism, there'll be no more diseases like the coronavirus. It's going to be an incredible time. And, and we're on that timeline. We don't, know, we don't know if we're right up against Christ's return or if it's going to be another 100 years from now, another 1,000 years from now. We don't know these things. But we do know this. God is faithful to fulfill his plan of redemption. And what he requires of us is that we be faithful in our time, in the timeline. We're in God's timeline, his redemptive plan right now. When again, we don't know how far the timeline reaches, but we know that we have today. We don't know how long each of our timelines is going to be. I don't know how much longer I have on this earth. You don't know how much longer you have on this earth. But what, let us be faithful while we're here. Let us be like Boaz. Let us be like Ruth. People who were focused on God and being faithful to him. Let us follow in their example. Dockery says this, By their faithfulness, integrity, and love, the characters of the book of Ruth mirrored the character of God. They serve as reminders that the lives of godly people are a powerful witness of God's self-sacrificing love. We started talking about this morning about perspective. What is your perspective about what is happening in our world right now? Prime says this, how does the Lord's assessment of human history differ from man's assessment of human history? How should Christians react to news of troubles and disasters taking place in the world? Well, we should see things from God's perspective. I don't know about you, but I, I can start to lose my mind if I just, I just focus on the news and I just stay on you know, social media and I start reading, 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 reading. It, it can be really discouraging. And you might, feel, you might feel like, man, the world is like chaotic now. And it's like there's so much confusion and, and what's, what's next? And, you know, but here's, not some, here's something you're not going to see on the news. Here, here's something you're not going to see in your social media. Rarely. God's working. God is at work every day on this earth. It would be so awesome if we could just get a redemptive news network, right? Hey, here's another story of how God took somebody from death to life, how he took somebody from despondency to, to hope, how he took someone from darkness and delivered them. Like, that's happening every day in our world. How do I know this? Because he's not returned yet. Jesus Christ will return when everyone has heard, when everyone has been given a chance to repent, then he will return. But until that time, he waits because he desires that some yet be saved. And so, let's not focus on these things, Christians. All this, all this stuff that's going on, let us be faithful to what God's word says. That's what we need to do. We need to not be, not be twisted and turned by the, the latest news feed. We need to be grounded in God's word. We need to get our eyes off the chaos and onto Christ. We need to get our eyes off the Facebook and onto the Father. We need to get our eyes off of sinning and onto the Savior. We need to get our eyes off the worries and onto the Word. That's what we need to do today, to walk faithfully as God would want us to in our timeline. Let us be like this example we've had in Boaz and Ruth. Let us walk in faithfulness that God's plan of redemption can carry on through us in a, in a life-changing way. 
I'm so thankful that our God never changes. His word never changes. He never changes. I just want to close by reading a song that we probably would have sung this morning if we're actually together. It's, it's just, I want to just read the, word, the beginning of, Is He Worthy? Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. It is good that we remind ourselves of this. Let's not lose perspective. Let's not lose perspective. Our God is at work. He's been at work from the beginning and he will be until the end. He is faithful and he is changing our world. Even today in the midst of all this confusion and chaos, he's taking people from death to life, from despondency to hope and from darkness to deliverance. And so let us worship him. Let us love him. Let us live for him. There is power in the plan. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we are so thankful that you are on your throne. And God, we do lament all the pain and the suffering that we see in our world. And God, we're asking, God, would you use us? God, would you help us to point people to the hope that is in you? Lord, Disease and hatred will continue to ravage this earth. But God, there is a day when all that will end because you're coming back and you're going to, you're going to return. You're going to take away all disease and all hatred. But God, would you help us to see individuals changed for your glory and for your honor? Lord, would you change us for your glory and for your honor? God, I pray that if there be anyone this morning who doesn't know you yet, that God, they would be made alive today through Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you so much for this precious book of Ruth. You've reminded us of so much of your faithfulness, of your goodness, of your power, and of your plan. God, help us to trust in you anew today. Help us to walk in faithfulness. And it's for your glory and it's for your honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.